our cancer journey. Hey, OCJ Tribe friends. On today's show, we'll be talking to Sharin Steele, Australian citizen, mother of two small children, and a trained engineer who was walking the path of her planned life when ovarian cancer arrived. We'll not only talk about her extraordinary story, but also how she started giving back in small ways and how that eventually grew to her helping to light her entire nation teal to bring awareness to ovarian cancer. Check out this clip from the show. So Oswit Teal is bringing the community together and our main message is we want people to know about it. So women of tomorrow who have to face this disease, we want them to have every chance they possibly can get to secure an early diagnosis. The Our Cancer Journey podcast is a place for those impacted by cancer, their caregivers, and their loved ones. Together, we explore ways that we can optimize our lives through the experiences of diagnosis and treatments and beyond into the future of survivorship. And now your host, Bruce Watkins. Greetings, everyone. This is Bruce Watkins, your host for the Our Cancer Journey podcast. This is the show where together we'll explore ways to help you feel better, live happier, expand your self-empowerment, and enhance your life experience. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today. We have a wonderful guest named Sharin Steele. She's a woman who lives in Australia, and her cancer story has many good takeaways for us, but we're going to go beyond just talking about her cancer because she did something remarkable with her life and in partnership with many other women in the world to do something to bring awareness to the cancer that she was diagnosed with. Starting out very small and having many doubts, Sharin now is one of the leaders in the Auslit Teal effort to light the entire nation of Australia teal to get the conversation about ovarian cancer going. So let's just jump right into the program. There's so much here. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. Check it out. Sharin Steele, welcome to the Our Cancer Journey podcast. You have such a unique story. I am glad you joined us on the program today. Bruce, I'm so happy to be here to speak with you about my journey through cancer. Well, I'm happy to have you here too, because Sharon, we're going to be talking about the charity that you are the face of and this wonderful educational effort that you're doing and fundraising effort. But there's so much more to your story. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to tell us about it, because I certainly got a lot from it. And I think our audience will as well. Bruce, I've been listening to your podcast. I agree definitely that I think I can share some of my journey and how cancer's changed me. My story will resonate with many of yours because we've gone through something similar. And I think that we can give and take from each other. Well, I appreciate that because your giving back story is so wonderful. So why don't we just jump right in now and talk about how you began this journey of transformation from being Sharin Steele, working mom, living life in Australia, doing your thing every day to this powerhouse teal advocate. So Bruce, before I was diagnosed, I was working in a great job in my career in engineering. I was a mother of two kids. So I had a three-year-old and 11-month-old and, you know, things felt like they were going in the right direction in life and I had everything lined up and it was all great. And then suddenly the diagnosis hit and it hit really, really suddenly. So in the moment that I was told that I had cancer, I went through this profound shift where Everything I thought I was doing in one way changed completely and my life started going in a completely different direction. And so 
During my treatment, I reached into the community because I was looking for someone that I could connect with that was going through the same thing I'm going through so we could share and lean on each other. But as soon as I entered the communities and I started reading the comments and the questions that were coming through, I just felt like it was a little bit too much for me because I was so emotionally vulnerable. I wasn't ready to take on other people's stories at the same time that I was fighting my own. You know, it's really interesting you say that, Sharon, because I've talked to a lot of cancer folks and they hear this expectation somewhere out there that engagement's great and getting into the community and it's all wonderful. And it is great and it is wonderful, but there's a time when that vulnerability, that opening up is frightening and it's difficult and you're still processing a lot of things. You were really aware enough to really realize that. And that's, that's a thing. And that's a great message for our audience too. Now today you're reaching out to the community. You're in a whole different space, but what would you say to people in the audience that have that feeling of, I'm not ready. I can't do that yet. What would you say to them? What was interesting to me was I could not even utter the words, I have cancer. I don't think I actually said the word cancer till after the fact. And I, after my treatment was over, I actually used that word in past tense. I said, I had cancer. And that was the first time I connected that word with myself. And I think if you're not ready, then you're not ready. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think everybody needs to be really easy on themselves and kind to themselves when it comes to what you can handle. Because a cancer diagnosis is no walk in the park and no one should feel the burden of having to experience it in a certain way. So what I say to that is, you know, you've just got to do it your way and allow yourself permission to be, you know, as vulnerable as you like or as closed in as you like. It's really up to everybody. So when I reached into the community, I found some women that wanted to talk about it. They wanted to share every aspect, warts and all. And then there were people like me where it was, well, I don't want to share it because this is actually not helping me right now. And then there's everything in between all that. I really think that it's important that people do not feel like they have to immediately give back to the community. And there's all sorts of different ways of getting support. And there's all sorts of different ways of coping with a cancer diagnosis. Thank you for saying that, Sharin, because the thing I noted when we just chatted to set up our interview and you told me a little bit about your story was that you managed that realization with a degree of grace that some of us don't. I mean, our experience in cancer is really an evolving thing. It changes. We change. It changes us. As we go through stages, things change. So that actually is a huge point. Thank you for making that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. Okay. Now, you have such a wonderful story. I want to really dive in, but I don't want to go too much further in the podcast without mentioning this wonderful giving back effort that you're doing right now. Let's just talk about it briefly. We'll revisit it later but it's called Auslit Teal. Sharon, tell us about Auslit Teal. Auslit Teal is a national campaign that I run here in Australia that sees all the major city skylines turn teal on World Ovarian Cancer Day. So we have 102 sites across Australia who have agreed to change their building facade colours to the colour teal, which is the internationally recognised colour for ovarian cancer. And we're all doing that from sunset to sunrise on World Ovarian Cancer Day to draw attention to the deadliest of gynecological cancers. It is a jarring statistic. When people get this disease, 
it's really dangerous. You're right, Bruce. This is a really dangerous disease and that statistic is really jarring. So so much needs to be done to raise awareness for this disease because just to put into perspective, 1,800 women on average get diagnosed in Australia. And for the women who have the most lethal type, which is the most common, um, not many of them will fare well beyond five years. Now, you say a lot more needs to be done. And I know that when I read your website and I've seen some of the information about Oslet Teal, and you mentioned earlier World Ovarian Cancer Day, isn't that being celebrated on May 8th, 2021, right? Absolutely, yes. Now, the, the Teal Initiative that you are part of, you folks have a lot of agenda items, education, advocacy. Can you tell us about some of those? So on World Ovarian Cancer Day, we want to educate all of the public about the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer because they are referred to as the silent whispers. And the reason we refer to them like that is because the symptoms are so vague and so common to women that they often get overlooked. And to give you an example, one symptom is lower back pain. I had lower back pain before I was diagnosed, but I brushed it off because I had my 11-month-old son at home. I was lifting him. I had a little toddler. I was lifting her. And so I, I had a reason for that back pain. Um, another example was I was bloating a lot. A lot of women feel that kind of bloating sensation around their menstrual cycle. So these symptoms are common to women, but what we want people to know is if they're persistent or it's different to you, then we want you to raise a flag and we want you to ask about your ovaries. So basically what you're telling me, Sharon, is that ovarian cancer symptoms kind of mirror symptoms of just everyday life, everyday physiological things women go through? Absolutely, they do. And that's what's so frightening about them. It's so vague that you know, it's very hard to pick up. I had the symptoms of the disease, but I had no idea that I was experiencing them and only realized in hindsight. And that's the most frightening thing about this disease because the survival rate is only 46% beyond five years. The symptoms are so vague and there's no early detection test or screening method that most women are diagnosed in the later stages of the disease. Okay, let me just clarify because I'm learning something here. So basically what you're telling me is that there's no early detection tests whatsoever for this disease. Yeah, that's correct. And a lot of people believe that a pap smear will pick up ovarian cancer, but a pap smear doesn't. It only picks up cervical cancer. And because it's an internal organ, you can't feel for a mass. You can't feel for a lump. So, for example, women can screen themselves for breast cancer, but with ovaries, obviously you can't do that. Wow. Oh, okay, so... Is part of the Teal Initiative trying to advocate towards more research or funding towards research to try to develop early detection tests or some technology that can help identify this disease at an earlier stage? That's right. So at the moment, there's a lot of work going on in the global science community to find an early detection test. That's happening. But we all know that research takes a long time. It's going to take a little while. We've had interesting things coming through, but there's still a lot of time. So the reason we do Auslit Teal is because we need something in the interim. We need women to be more aware of this disease. And when I was first diagnosed, I had never heard about ovarian cancer before, never. And the most frightening thing was the further I reached into the community, the further I learned that I was not alone. And almost 82% of women have never heard about this disease prior to their diagnosis. That is a very disheartening statistic 
And that's really disconcerting for someone like me who's been through it. So Auslit Teal is bringing the community together. And our main message is we want people to know about it. So women of tomorrow who have to face this disease, we want them to go into it having heard about it. And we want them to have every chance that they possibly can get to secure an early diagnosis. What was that statistic again of how many women have never heard of ovarian cancer before their diagnosis? 82%. You know, I saw that on a website when I was researching, getting ready to do our show. And initially I thought, oh my God, how is that possible? Because now I'm in the cancer community quite by happenstance. (laughs) And I'm sitting there thinking, how could that be? How can people not have heard of this? And then I realized the particular cancer I had, I never heard of it before I got it. Everybody's heard of breast cancer, and I'm a guy, so I've heard of prostate cancer. Mm. But other than that, I can name three other cancers on three fingers, and that's it. So here's this super important message that you've got about this very, very, very serious disease, and people are totally unaware out there. Yeah. And you're also talking about this whispers of ovarian cancer, that these symptoms are so masked and mirrored. When it comes to doctors, like women that are going to their general practitioners, because generally people don't go to an oncologist, right? So they're going to their general practitioners. This must be really problematic for general practitioners too, right? What happens with diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely right, Bruce, because another scary statistic, and I think this is why GPs find it difficult to pick it up, is that a GP will only experience a woman present with ovarian cancer potentially twice in their entire career. So there's a whole effort and a movement in the community to educate up-and-coming doctors. And the way we do that is we share our stories. And so when you go to a GP, often what they'll do is misdiagnose because a woman will come in, I'm bloating, I'm going to the toilet more often than usual, And then the GP will start ticking boxes. Okay, that sounds like IBS. So she'll get misdiagnosed with IBS. Or, you know, someone like me with a toddler and a a newborn would say, I've got lower back pain. And the doctor will say, well, that's normal because you're, you're not sleeping very well and you're lifting lots of weight with your children. So the GPs are faced with the same problem. And the reason why raising awareness helps is because when you go at this scale and the whole global community is coming together to light up on the same night, we want to strike curiosity in everybody. We want to strike that in husbands. We want to strike that in GPs. We want to strike that curiosity in women because everyone that sees those teal lights, we want them to start becoming aware of teal and making that color synonymous with ovarian cancer. So if you say to someone, pink, they immediately know that's attached to breast cancer. And that's our goal with Auslit Teal. Because if we can achieve that, then a little bit of curiosity might be struck in a doctor's mind and they'll go and research it or they'll find out about the disease. And that just that action could save a woman's life. Well, I have to tell you, Shireen, you've heard my podcast and you know that I talk about all kinds of things about life and it's not exclusive to any kind of particular cancer. But now that I'm really hearing things, and I'm I'm pretty into the community right now, I've spoken to a lot of people with a lot of different kinds of cancers, I'm realizing that this awareness-raising thing of all different kinds of cancers has a lot of value. And for example, obviously I'll never have ovarian cancer, but the fact is, is that seeing those things and being aware of ovarian cancer and hearing just a few statistics and understanding some of those symptoms, there may be somebody that I love or that I care about that may be experiencing something and may be going to the doctor and may be getting the, hey, 
take an aspirin, your back hurts because of lifting your kid or whatever. And those of us that aren't in the ovarian cancer Venn diagram of potential patients could actually advocate for our friends and loved ones too. So I'm gaining a lot more appreciation to these awareness raising things. You know, it's more than just fundraising. It really is education, isn't it? Absolutely. And I always say when I meet people, I explain that, you know, one of the signs and symptoms is bloating. And I was telling my husband over and over again, I was complaining about how I was bloating. And if he had known, just like you said, Bruce, if he had known and he heard me verbalizing it more than usual, then he might have said to me, why don't you go and ask them to check your ovaries? And that's exactly what we want people to do. Well, we both do agree that education is super important, but let's take this into your personal story, Sharon. You obviously were diagnosed. What was your experience like with your doctor? What did you learn and what can you share with our audience that may be insightful? So my doctor was a very quirky individual. Oh, quirky. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's one way to describe him. I like to use eccentric as well. There's no doctor in the world I know that doesn't mind being called quirky because they're all quirky. (laughs) Okay. Um, when I went in to see him, I'd never met him before and I was there on my lunch break and I walked into his office. I explained to him that I'd felt something moving with gravity in my abdomen. And he said, I actually asked for a pregnancy test and he said, okay, hop up on the bed and I'll examine you. And so he's putting, wait, 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 wait. So you're just, you're just on your lunch break. Yeah. I'm on my lunch break. You're just going down saying, yeah, I feel something, I feel something in my tummy down here uh, when you want to check it out. And he's going, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's like. Yeah. It's like, hey, doc, I think I'm pregnant. Can you check? Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm laughing. Obviously, it's a bit of a jar, but it was that casual. You're just walking in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't think anything of it. So I'm up on the bed and he's touching my belly and he's doing all the things that you do when a woman comes in and says, I think I'm pregnant. And he says to me, there's something in there, but it's not a baby. And he sent me off for an ultrasound. And the next day I had to come back to see him. And um, I was sitting in the waiting room and I could see the corridor. And at the end of that corridor was his office door. And I watched him come out and he walked over to me. And without saying a word, he put a little finger up and he gestured for me to follow him. So I followed him in and he stepped into his office and I took one step in. He turned around, looked me square in the eyes and he said, it's cancer. To which I replied, you're lying. Are you, are you making a joke? Is this, are you trying to be funny? Because it's not funny. I've got two small children and I've just lost my mother-in-law. Not funny. And in that moment, I realized, geez, Shireen, this is your shock talking. You need to sit down. So my doctor was very straightforward with me and he was absolutely quirky to look someone in the eye and just drop that information. And then I realized after the fact, when I look back, that he was actually doing me a favor. He was allowing me to go through the shock and come out the other end when I'm ready so that we can get to action and start treating and looking after me. Man, that is an outstanding story that you just said, because while it's shocking, you're absolutely right. I mean, how many people out there want a doctor with wonderful bedside manner? Yeah. But obviously, this person had it together. They knew what was going on. They knew what was happening. And they delivered the goods to you as quickly as possible. And what a practical thing, too, because your background is an engineer. You're a pragmatic person. And the person just gave you the goods like that. 
And you really think it helped you, the fact that they were just blunt and just laid it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it did. What helped me the most, though, was that he was ready to take action. So he coached me with his quirkiness through that moment of what is happening to me? What is this thing that's happening? And he dropped that bomb and then he went absolutely quiet and he just let me go through it. And I don't think, you know, if you're sort of sugarcoating the information and you're trying to make me feel good, you're actually prolonging that that moment of realisation. And I, I would have found that much more difficult to deal with. It's almost like extending the pain. So, yeah, the shock factor is good. Well, you know, the thing is, I know that different people have different opinions and I don't want to say anything to any particular person of what you should do. You know, we were talking about that earlier. Of course. Absolutely. But certainly sometimes when things like this happen, if you're just open to the fact and process it and move through it, sometimes you look back and go, you know, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God bless quirky doctors. Huh? <laughs> and you said the guy really took action. I mean, he yeah. wasn't plotting around. Yeah. He realized that something was going on and he needed to deal with it. Now, yeah. Earlier, I believe we mentioned that there's different types of ovarian cancer. So a doctor at this point, clearly the guy didn't have much to say. All he had was an ultrasound, but he realized something was going on. Taking action when you're not sure if it's not serious or it's really serious cancer is a better thing than going at it real slow, right? Absolutely. And especially with ovarian cancer, it moves and it spreads and it does so at a quick pace. I, I would much rather they say to me, it's potentially cancer, than tell me it's something else and I wait and I wait and this thing is inside and it's doing its damage. And then you do all this waiting and at the end, it's too late. Well, thankfully, he took action. So what exactly happened next? So I was diagnosed with a subtype of ovarian cancer called an ovarian germ cell tumour. And the prognosis for an ovarian germ cell tumor is a lot different to some of the other more lethal types. So I felt like I'd won the ovarian cancer lottery because I went through the treatment and I knew when I came out, it would be okay. And I would, you know, things would be okay, whatever that meant. So the exploratory test identified it pretty early. Did they tell you right up front, hey, this is going to be a less dangerous version of ovarian cancer? Or did that take a while to figure out? I know they knew that up front. Um, they told me pretty much as soon as the diagnosis was made and they told me that the prognosis for the type that I had was different to the more common types of ovarian cancer. So in that moment, I felt really good. Hey, podcast friends, it is Bruce and I'm popping in for just a second with a cool update and a fun request. We here on the Our Cancer Journey podcast are in the process of putting together some additional content and supporting materials, and we would love to get your ideas and feedback. So if you'd like to participate in a focus group to help us brainstorm and refine ideas, or if you'd like to pilot some of our draft content to make sure it's useful to our listeners, we would like to hear from you. Please go to our webpage at www.ourcancerjourney.com. At the top of the page, click the contact tab and send us a note. Tell us you're interested in helping us out and thank you for helping us help others in our community. Thanks again. And now back to the show. Can I ask you something personal? Sure. 
Go ahead. <laughs> what, am, what else am I doing here? I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what, go for it. What, what are you, new here, Bruce? That's what you've been doing all the time? <laughs> um, with, with regards to a doctor telling you you have a lesser serious cancer than other kinds of cancer, at any point did somebody say, oh, you're lucky, or it's not that big of a deal, or did people say those kind of things to you? Because I've heard that from people, that when they have a cancer, but it's kind of, what did you say? I won the cancer lottery because I didn't get one of the more serious ones. Yeah, yeah. Did other people start echoing that to you like, oh, you know, you'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. Or did they keep treating it as a pretty serious thing and you had to take it really seriously? Um, no, nobody, nobody said that I was lucky or anything like that. Um, I think people took it much more seriously than I was allowing myself to take it. Um, but what I did find interesting was when I learned that it was one of the more okay types, I started negating my experience, which someone said to me, you should not negate your experience. And that was really powerful for me. That's really interesting. What do you mean by that? So I would sort of downplay, you know, but I'm okay. You know, I went through the treatment. I'm okay. But the fact is when you cross into cancer, it's like having a child. One moment you're not a parent, the next you are, and that is you forever. It changes you as a person. And I felt I feel that way about cancer. So even now when I'm like, when I say I'm a survivor of ovarian cancer, the word survivor I find a little bit jarring. I think, what does that even mean? Because I've had cancer now and that's in the back of my mind. It's always there. I can't go back to pre-cancer time. So, yeah, I found that really interesting coming into the cancer world. You know, I kind of hear you on the whole thing about I'm a survivor mm -hmm. because to me, I am changed and I'm still here. Yeah. Like when you survive something, it's done. That's over and I survived it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like the term survivorship. It's kind of like the art of living. Yes. You know, you're still living. You're still going. I love that word because I think it's so, it's empowering. It's real. It's now. And it's ongoing. And that's, that's what drew me to your podcast, that word survivorship. That made a lot of sense to me. I was like, wow, that's a different way to look at it. Because you're right. It's not, you know, black and white where I survived. I'm done. Okay. Go back to normal life. It's not like that. It's the next part of an experience, which is survivorship. It really resonated with me as well. Well, Sharin, that, that's a great compliment. Thank you very much. And what's crazy in our community is that there are so many people, and I'm going to use you as an example. I hope you don't mind. Here you are, an accomplished woman. You're doing great things. You're out there doing remarkable advocacy. And like me, after I came out, the concept of survivorship was something that wasn't even on my mind. It was introduced to me by some really visionary folks. And mm -hmm. as I went into the community, I realized this isn't talked about, and yet it's one of the biggest needs. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So anyway, speaking about survivorship, let's talk about your survivorship. So here you are, you're going through treatments. Clearly, it's impacting you. What happened next? So Treatment ended and I was ready to go back to work. So I took that initiative and off I went to work. And I remember sitting in my seat and I had to go to the kitchen to get a glass of water and I stood up and every part of my body, every muscle was screaming at the same time. And I thought to myself, what am I doing here? And I just didn't have, I could not connect to the purpose that I had prior to diagnosis. And that's what survivorship is. It's like you're not the same person. You went in, 
you were walking down a street and then suddenly you turned and you're going down another path. Yeah, that, that pesky right turn. <laughs> and that's survivorship. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. And one comment which really I found interesting was from one of my colleagues. He was sitting with me and he asked me how I'm doing. And I, I honestly said to him, today's one of those, I'm just sort of on casual today. I'm not functioning very well. My cognition's not that clear. I'm forgetting everybody's names. And I'm in a lot of pain today. And he said, geez, you look like, like I thought it was over because you, you look like normal Shireen, you're back. And I said, I know, but on the inside, it's not like that. I'm not the Shireen that you knew before. Wow. And that's survivorship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, with your cancer not being as serious, I hate to say that, yeah. but with your cancer not being as serious as some of the more really dangerous ovarian cancer diagnoses, mm. what was your treatment like and how did you fare afterwards? So, Bruce, I had a couple of surgeries, um, one to remove the mass, one to stage my cancer. Then I went through a few rounds of chemotherapy and then I came out the other end and they told me, you, you should be okay. I went through the you know three-monthly, six-monthly yearly checkups and everything's been fine since then and I'm approaching five years um, survivorship and remission. Congratulations. That's a milestone. <laughs> Thank you. It is a milestone. Yeah, yeah. I've got this weird sense of relief hitting five years as well, which is interesting. I didn't expect to feel this way, but another piece of survivorship, I suppose. I remember the old days when they used to say the word cured at five years. Clearly, they're learning that that's probably not the <laughs> wisest thing to do because sometimes stuff creeps up in year six. But, yeah. you know, we'll take we'll take whatever milestone we can get. Absolutely. We're, yes. <laughs> exactly. Because from what I understand. You went through that period of time about being a little bit withdrawn, right? You were talking about that earlier, mm. about being too vulnerable yeah. to engage. But when you came out the other end, you were now talking to people in the community and you realized there was other people that weren't faring that well and their stories began to resonate with you. I did come out the other end and when I started feeling well enough, I realized now it's time. I'm not as emotionally vulnerable. I'm ready to give back to the community and when I started reaching into the community again with the, you know, things like sharing my story or just connecting with women and speaking with them on Facebook or just trying to answer a couple of questions that women had about, say, chemotherapy, I got to know more and more women. And the more I got to know, the scarier it all became to me because I think my survivor guilt kicked in a little bit. I felt like I was so lucky, but these people are becoming my friends. This is now becoming my community. and. I don't want to sit quiet because, you know, I've met some wonderful women and their lives get cut short and they're doing this amazing advocacy. And I looked at my opportunity and I thought, geez, I am so lucky to be here. I really am. And I, at that point, committed to carrying their voices in my voice. So beyond just telling your stories or chatting with people on Facebook, which is a big giving back thing, how did you go from doing something at that level to doing something so ambitious and so with such audacity. You know? Or crazy, or, or, Bruce. You, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, how did you how did you get from doing that to, I mean, lighting up an entire nation or, or working with a bunch of other people to do this wonderful thing? How did you get there? Like, it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like I came out and entered survivorship and bang, I was advocating at this scale. It didn't happen that way. I went step by step and I still do to this day with Auslit Teal. So I'll give you an example. I started sharing my story. Firstly, I connected with the community. I gave those little tidbits out of, you're going to, you know, this is what I went through and how this was my experience. 
And then I went and started sharing my story through existing organizations. You know, they, I, I decided I wanted to do that. So I did. And that worked for me for a little while. I did local fundraisers um, and just sort of entered the community. And then everywhere I went, I talked about ovarian cancer. I kind of became the Enyo lady where instead of trying to sell cloths and mops and things like that, I was talking about ovarian cancer. <laughs> and then, which, you know, I realized Jesus. Was this, you, you, you knock on the door, this. you know? Hi. Yeah, yeah, look, do you want some mops? Yeah. Have you heard about ovarian cancer? <laughs> everywhere I went, I talked to everyone about it. So that was my little way of giving back. You know, that was the early days. So I'm out in the community, I'm talking about ovarian cancer, I'm fundraising, I'm doing all the things that a lot of survivors do and get how they get engaged in the community. And then I suddenly get this message from a woman named Susan Glynn who lives in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada. Newfoundland and Labrador? Do you have any idea where that is? I've been there. I know where it is now. I didn't before. I mean, that, that's pretty far away from Australia. <laughs> Get it together, Bruce. <laughs> but I learned that it is like if you took your finger and you touched Australia and you pushed it right through the earth, it would be on the other side. It's on the opposite side of the world for real, right. huh? Yeah, it's on the opposite side of the world. And here we are. And we want to say the same thing. We want people to know the same message. Man, is that a testament for how wide the ovarian cancer community is? Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So here she is in St. John, a lovely city, mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. So you're talking to this woman. What does she say? She says, I'm lighting up my city on World Ovarian Cancer Day. Do you want to join me? Would you do your city? And I said, I can try because I wasn't doing much at that time. I was between jobs and I thought, well, I could try. There's no harm in trying. And then I reached out to our town hall and I realized that it was an old building and they would need to flood the building with projections and things like that and it quickly became a little bit too hard i thought jesus is i don't know if i can do this it's going to cost money yeah so just wait one second there sharon yeah. for our audience um this lighting up thing where outdoor buildings and things like that get lit up with a particular color you probably see it on news programs regularly for different kinds of charities or awareness building things like this the lighting up situation is really complex yeah that's a lot of lighting watts and a mm. lot of equipment that takes to light those outdoor buildings bright enough to be yeah. seen in a brightly lit city. Some older buildings don't have very much outdoor lighting. And so going to a building that doesn't have that equipment, that's a big ask of them, right? Because it's really expensive. Huge ask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is really expensive because they'll have to get a third party uh, digital artist um, company to come out and physically set up just for a night. And that costs a lot of money. Yeah, with thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment, right? Absolutely. So yeah. your city hall or whatever it is, yeah. they're not like being negative or unsupportive. They literally are looking at resources going like, oh, we can't do this, right? Absolutely. And look, there was only three weeks to go to World Ovarian Cancer Day. So there was a lot of logistical reasons they couldn't do it. But they were absolutely supportive and loved the initiative. Everyone I've ever approached about it does. There's always been a positive response from everybody. It's just what they can do within their resources. Okay, so here you are. You've got you've gone down to your city hall. You've been shot down. <laughs> you've experienced loss. And More the, like uh, I've given up. Yeah. yeah. So now, now, what do you do then? So oh, this is the funny bit. So I'm driving home, and I've given up on this whole idea. But it's stewing in the back of my head. I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. 
And I turn a corner and there's this tall building. It's the tallest one in my city. And it's got this beautiful rainbow sequence light show going on. And I thought to myself, geez, those are digital lights. And that is so much easier to change than hiring a projection company. (laughs) I'm going to get in touch. And just like that, it started again. So that I called them and I gave them some color codes and I spoke to the building manager and I spoke to people that I've worked with in the past. You know, I mean, I mean, I was in engineering. I've worked with these guys all the time. Well, that's great that you had an engineering background because you really understood how all this works. <laughs> when you called them, they were really supportive? Absolutely. And as luck would have it, the first building that I contacted, the gentleman on the phone said to me, I understand completely what you're trying to do. We're singing from the same songbook. I'm fighting cancer myself, so I'm definitely in. Wow. This tells you our brethren and sistren in our community mm. are all over the place, and you never know. you yeah. know. And if it wasn't for you reaching out, he probably would have never thought about this idea. Uh, yeah. No. And it's once you're in that cancer world, you're in, and it doesn't matter what type. And yeah, that's right. We're all the same. So you get the first building lit up, and how long ago was this? So this was in 2019. I got the building lit up and then I realized that I called the wrong building and I thought, oops, I rang the other building because there's two that stand really close to each other. There's one behind it and one in front. And the one with the rainbow sequence, I rang the wrong address. So I rang the (laughs) second one and I said, "Um, the one behind you is getting involved. How about you guys? Would you like to? And they were very positive and said, yep, give us the dates, give us the color codes, let's go for it. And then it just sort of went, it had a domino effect. Once I got the first yes, the second yes came, the third yes came, and then I started ringing major landmarks. So places like the MCG, which is the Melbourne Cricket Ground, huge iconic stadium in, in Melbourne. It's historic. It, it reaches our community in ways that people are really passionate about that hello turf. So we started getting really prominent landmarks really quickly. So within three weeks, I had my whole city lighting up in teal. So this is 2019. You're in Melbourne. You hit the equivalent of what we call home runs. What do you call it when in cricket? I'm not that familiar with cricket. A six. I hit a six. You hit a six. I hit it so hard, it went out of the field, so I got six points, and we call it a six. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm an ignorant American. Please forgive me. I surprised myself, too. I use this podcast as a cultural learning experience. You hit a six. You hit a six. I hit a six. Yeah. Okay. Or touchdown. How did it snowball into what it is today? So we, I got Melbourne done and I wanted people to know about it. You know, the lights going on is one thing, but people need to know why the lights are on. So I use social media to spread the message of what was going on in Melbourne. And of course, the natural reaction from people around Australia were like, were saying, why can't my city do this? And because I'm a little bit crazy, I thought, yeah, why can't, why can't we? So with the encouragement of Susan and all these other women around the world who were trying to do the same thing I did in Melbourne but in their cities, they were the wind underneath my wings. And, you know, the question of why can't my city do this, I thought, why can't we? And so rather than three weeks, we had 12 months to prepare for the next year. And so I kicked into gear and we started going for Australia the next year. Mild ambition. I'm lighting up one city. Now I'm going for an entire continent. Fantastic. Uh, oh, it must be the engineer in me. Once I start something, I have to finish it. So <laughs> I went for Australia. I thought, if I can do Melbourne, I, we can do Australia. And of course, this is the survivor guilt, right, at play. 
So these women around the world are like, come on, Shireen, you can do Australia. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can, but I can't stop now because the message is so important that no matter how much you want to give up or you say to yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through all this work? It's easy to answer that question because I want everyone to know about this disease. It comes back to that awareness. So even if I want to give up, I can't. I'm too passionate. Well, Sharon, I think anybody listening to our recording is going to hear the emotion embedded in what you just said. So if you don't mind me saying I might disagree a little bit, I think it may be beyond survivor's guilt. I think it actually may have a lot to do with love and compassion for people. On behalf of all of us, me and everybody listening, I'm sure everybody in the OV community, but everybody, thank you for caring so much. Thank you, Bruce. I've never really thought of myself that way, being a pragmatic engineer, but thank you for that. It's very kind. Okay, so where are we at today? Well, sounds like things are going well over the last couple of years. So with Auslit Teal, we are going again this year for 8th of May, 2021. And we're at 102 sites this year because of COVID-19. Obviously, it's affected a lot of our sites. We had a lot of hotels. And so we're, we're doing great and we're really pleased with the reception we've had and the yeses that have come through. But we're taking it a step further this year where we're asking the community, the public, to light up in teal. So this year we're asking everyone to put some teal lights at the front of their house and to turn them on between sunset and sunrise on the 8th of May and bring the campaign to your street so that, you know, I want your neighbours to ask you why your house was teal last night. So you can start a conversation about ovarian cancer. You know, I'm so happy to hear you say that. One of the things when I talk to people that give back in a big way, sometimes I think that there might be people out there in the audience who are either just in the middle of their cancer journey and their diagnosis and their treatments, and they're really physically struggling right now, or they're past it, and they may feel a little introverted or they don't think that's me. And they hear a story like yours and people are going like, wow, that woman sounds remarkable. You know, she's powerful. She's secure. I can never be like her. Mm, yeah. It almost breaks my heart because you've told us earlier, this was an evolution for you and people don't know that, but people can do so much, even the small things. You know, we were talking earlier about just answering somebody in a Facebook group yeah. or going to a support group meeting. Or just taking care of yourself or, mm. you know, telling your friends about something where it may yes. save their life. Yeah. So listening to you out there today in our audience, the people that might be going like, I could never light up my city, much less a, a full country. There is something they could do. So tell us more about how people at home could <laughs> do things to help recognize World Ovarian Cancer Day. So the teal lights are one way. You can put some teal lights in the front of your house and bring the campaign to your street, but you don't have to have teal lights necessarily. So we have a regional centre, which is sort of, you know, a couple of hours from anywhere, and they don't have any prominent sites. They don't have buildings with lights. So what they're doing for us is putting teal uh, ribbons on a prominent bridge in their city so or in their township. It's the main bridge. Everyone passes over it. So in that community, we're saying to people, if you'd like to take part, if you want to do something tiny, you know, you don't have the energy to do anything bigger than put a little teal ribbon on the front fence of your house. That is enough because that little small gesture that you make could potentially 
Start a conversation with the very person that needs it. And that's all, that's it. That's all you have to do. And that's exactly how I started. I started with fundraising for an existing organization or telling everyone like the Enyo lady, you know, I was always talking about it. I was talking about it at the supermarket. I was talking about it at my kid's school. And that's enough. You don't have to go above and beyond. You don't have to light up your, your country. You know, I want to go off topic just for a moment. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say that when it comes to gynecological cancer, that there is an unspoken stigma. I've met people that had testicular cancer and I've met mm-hmm. different women with all kinds of different female reproductive cancers. Yeah. I don't think that way, but several of them have said it's out there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, breasts are sexy, testicles are sexy, and sex sells, but ovaries are not sexy. Nobody wants to talk about ovaries. And the stigma is real. You know, it's always been, women have always been taught as we grow up to be modest and not talk about our private parts. You know, you keep that to yourself. And even within communities around the world, it's looked down upon. So you're not going to see billboards around the place with women's private parts unless they're selling sex. And I think the stigma is there and it is real. You know, that's very insightful. And and I I do tend to agree with almost everything you're saying. And I I guess I do, you know, think breasts are sexy. (laughs) Not sure how sexy testicles are, though. (laughs) But but what you're saying is the, you know, the internal organs, the internal workings and stuff like that. That's right. That's right. You, you can't know. put a pair of ovaries in a Calvin Klein underwear and have that at Times Square. Do you know what I mean? Testicles <laughs> can have a moment. And this is why people don't want to talk about it. They're internal organs, they're reproductive organs, and they're female organs. And we all know that women are often, and girls, young girls, we're brought up to just keep that to ourselves. It's stigmatic to talk about any of that stuff. It doesn't matter what context, let alone cancer. Well, clearly all of that's terrible. This unspoken stigma that you're talking about kind of does permeate our society. How do we get through that? How do we get through that in a way where women can go to their doctors, doctors can be more open, their loved ones who aren't being affected can support them? What can we do? This is where conversation comes into play, Bruce. I really believe it. So we need to start talking about our ovaries, you know, so a small action like taking a teal ribbon or a teal light and putting it out the front of your house starts a conversation with your neighbor. And that there starts breaking down the barriers and the stigma associated with talking about our organs. There's no shame in illness. There's no shame in things going wrong in our bodies. And just starting that little conversation is enough. And the more we talk about it, everybody becomes a bit more desensitized to the stigma and it becomes a normal conversation and that's what we're after we want everyone to feel comfortable about talking about ovaries well i'm comfortable talking about ovaries so let's talk more about where we can get more information on oslit teal so you can head to oslitteal.com which is a-u-s lit l-i-t and then t-e-a-l.com Uh, and you'll get all the information for the campaign there. You'll see all the sites and how you can get involved. Uh, So that's one way. We're also on all the social channels. So Instagram and Facebook, you can find Oslit Teal on there. And, um, yeah, you could even message me on Facebook, 
I'm hoping Bruce will give you some links to follow, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I will definitely be putting a link to Oslip Teal, the Facebook page and other stuff in the show notes of this podcast. Thank you, Bruce. What about people around the world that want to try to do this locally in their own community? What can people do in their own hometowns outside of Australia? So if you're outside of Australia, you can reach out to your local organization. So there are lots of different organizations around the world that advocating for ovarian cancer, but there's no real global umbrella. The next step for Auslit Teal is to go international. So I'm more than happy for anyone to reach out and let me know what you're doing in your own city. Um, We are coming together. I mean, Susan and I've worked together. She's in Canada. I'm in Australia. We are branching out internationally. So if you want to get in touch with me, that's fine. But if you want to go to a local organization, that's also fine um, because we are trying to consolidate all of our efforts globally and along the way it'll get picked up. So absolutely reach out to anyone that's local to you. Shireen, this has been a phenomenal chat. And you are just so much more than an engineer and just a person that's lighting up (laughs) buildings. Your advocacy is (laughs) your advocacy. And the passion behind your advocacy is really shining through. You're doing really good work, Sharon. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for getting behind ovarian cancer. And I'm sure all the women of Teal around the world agree with me. We really appreciate you helping us expose this deadly disease and helping us raise awareness for it. It means a lot. Well, it's my absolute pleasure, Sharon. And thank you for giving back. So again, in the show notes, we'll have a lot of information Thank you for talking, and I hope one day we can check in and see how things are going with you and Oslit Teal. That'll be fantastic. Thank you very much. And after we wrap up the program, I've got lots of questions about Australian (laughs) slang. So will you hang on? I'm still confused about many things. (laughs) Well, I I couldn't resist because I love Aussie slang. And there was a lot more to the recording, but some Aussie slang may not be completely appropriate for this program. So I'll save that for a different podcast. I just wanted to come back and say thanks to Sharin. Please support the Aussie Teal movement. It really is doing good works. And remember, it doesn't matter whether you have ovarian cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, or any one of the hundreds or thousand rare cancers that are out there. Each one of our paths are different in that aspect, but we all have one whole life. And we have the power to influence that life to help make our lives better. Because this is our cancer journey. This episode of the Our Cancer Journey podcast is sponsored and produced by Fairlead Media. All rights reserved.